Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. On a mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this on you Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like song and my song's gon' break through like Hello and bed. welcome back to the podcast That is always up to speed with Formula One It is Wednesday, November 9th, 2022 I'm Mark Daly, joined by my good friend Mr. Mark Hamilton Hammy, welcome back How's it going tonight, buddy? My friend, it is going amazing. But I do have to ask you a question before we get started. Have you ever forgotten any of your kids' birthdays? Sorry, say again? Have you ever forgotten any of your children's birthdays? Um, No, actually, I haven't. And I wouldn't expect that you you would. Okay, okay. Have you ever forgotten your anniversary with your lovely wife? No, not upon penalty of death. So I'm motivated to remember that one. For sure. So these are leading questions. And the reason I'm asking these questions is because as I was reminded by some of our lovely listeners on Twitter, you and I just this past week celebrated two years as co-hosts of this (laughs) podcast. Can you believe it's already been two years, my friend? Dude, that is incredible. I, I I knew like it had been a while. I didn't actually realize it had been two years. That's crazy. It's just like, how does time fly like that? That that is that's just bananas. <laughs> that's yeah, cool. hundred. I, I feel like we were probably, and I should probably do the calculation at some point, but we're probably two two hundred and fifty. Probably not two hundred fifty, but probably a couple of hundred episodes deep into our our journey together, and hopefully there's at least another two years in front of us, my friends. So, oh, I uh, hope so. Given yeah. the fact that we've got this global audience right now, thank you so much for uh, giving me a shot and bringing me back from the uh, the burnout heap of former podcast hosts to give me another platform. So, my <laughs> friend, thank you so much, and here's to many more years doing oh, uh, doing this podcast together. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, it's been so much fun. Uh, I, I mean, uh, th- this is one of the times I enjoy most every week is when we sit down for an hour to talk Formula One. It's 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 always a good time. But yeah, it must be at least two hundred shows that we we did together. I think we were just shy of two hundred, and I think now we're pushing four hundred. So <laughs> you know, like, so cue up the meme. Wow, that escalated quickly, but not really. But uh, it, it sure adds up when when you stick to something and commit like that. That's that that's amazing. Well, happy anniversary to us! But on a little bit more of a of a somber note, this is the uh, the, the beginning of uh, November. On Friday is uh, November the eleventh. That's a Remembrance Day in Canada. It is um, it's a Veterans Day in uh, in the uh, United States. Remembrance Sunday this past weekend in the the the, the, the UK. And so there's lots of uh, occasions like that around the world. So just uh, off the top of the show, that uh, we would just like to thank all our our veterans and uh, acknowledge. Them 
them, especially those that are still on active uh, duty, those who are deployed. And of course, we want to uh, make a special mention uh, of those who never made it home and the ones that made it home but uh, were changed uh, forever. So just uh, a moment to uh, to remember that. So we should get into the show tonight, and I'm hoping we can actually get out of here about half an hour earlier, because last week we totally spaced on things. I mean, if we're not going to remember a milestone thing oh, like two years of doing the show gosh. together. Oh yeah, my gosh. <laughs> the, the, those ones came in pretty quick. It's like, uh, guys, you realize that the Brazilian Grand Prix is actually not for another week. <laughs> so like, <laughs> we're like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, egg all over Danny, our both respective faces but i don't so know <laughs> we many that clues. <laughs> so many clues when i build the outline for the show there's a bunch of different twitter feeds that i go to that have um uh, kind of updated sh- kind of race notes like uh prelly motorsports has a great twitter th- feed and they they throw up all these tweets about uh the expected tire compounds and all of yeah, these exactly. sites weren't updating and it's just like, it's really weird that nobody's pushing any content about the upcoming Brazilian Grand Prix. And it was yeah. obviously because we were off by, we were both off by like a week and neither of but us were able to keep each other honest. I didn't clue on that either. I didn't clue in on that either. I was just, because I check all the same things too, because I like to see what, uh, you know, tire compounds uh, Pirelli's bringing and then just kind of run down some of the track stats and former winners and race results and things like that. And I didn't clue in either. I was like, huh, that's weird. Pirelli usually has these things announced you know a couple of days before the race but maybe it's something they're just not going to do anymore maybe it's not a thing and you know oh well so you know once every 200 shows or so we kind of get things wrong <laughs> it's all good though anyway so let's uh we're, we're back to racing this weekend so let's just do a couple of uh, updates uh, briefly before we get into the news updates so let's just uh, go down the driver standings as we usually do at the beginning of every week max verstappen the world champion for 2022 currently on 416 points 14 wins already this season he could make it a couple more by the time we get to yes marina in a couple of weeks uh sergio Perez, his red bull teammate 280 charles leclerc at ferrari 275 george russell 231 and lewis hamilton with 216 the two um places in the uh, driver's standing we're looking at of course is between sergio and charles only five points separating the two of them with two races to go and then between carlos and lewis for that's only for fifth and sixth in the championship uh, but uh, there's only four points uh, between them and then over to the dri- or, sorry the team's uh, side in the constructor standings red bull they're constructors uh, champions this year for the first time in a decade. They have 696, and of course, they're going to extend that before the end of the year, you would think. Ferrari 487, Mercedes 447, Alpine 153, and McLaren fifth in the constructors with 146. So, Mark, hit us with those fantasy updates. Two races left, and we've got some prizes we're going to give out to the winners and some of the top placed uh, people in the Avdio Scuderia Formula One Fantasy League this year. So, let, let's hear it. I know we did this last week, but it uh, bears repeating, my friend. So we're not <laughs> building on the uh, disaster that was allegedly last week's podcast. I do not have the yes. fantasy standings <laughs> up. So if you are interested in the fantasy standings or you're interested in t- a Brazilian Grand Prix race review, you're going to have to <laughs> pop back a week and check out the most recent podcast because I do not have the fantasy standings up in front of me. So uh, moving on, and moving I, on. I feel bad that I, I put you on the spot like that. You didn't have it ready, but I'm not going to say, well, just pull it up because we know how horrible horrendously slow that hold on that F1 i'm doing fantasy. it 
I'm doing it. Okay, well, in the uh, in the meantime, we can just uh, give our shout out to to Magnus and the crew at the race weekend. That's a perfect holiday gift. You can head on over to the raceweekend.com. That is raceweekend r a c e w k n d.com. Enter in Scuderia Pod and get uh, 10% off your subscription and uh, you don't need to hear us drone on and on again about how good it is. It really is uh, that good. Zach Brown's birthday, CEO at McLaren. It uh, he's celebrating a birthday this week. Lewis receive, receiving honorary Brazilian citizenship. That just seems fitting. I just don't know why. It just seemed like that seemed very like it, it seems to fit well with Lewis uh, for, for some reason. So that's uh, pretty cool. Red Bull have launched a Discord channel. I don't really Discord, you know, like I don't really have enough bandwidth to really do a lot of things. So, uh, you know, come hell or high water, I guess I'm riding the Twitter boats until the end of time <laughs> or until <laughs> e- Elon drives it into the ground, whichever uh, comes first. By the way, and- we have to decide, are we going okay. to get our account verified? For $8 a month US, so $28 or $29 Canadian, Ooh. will we be getting our account verified? We, I'm putting Dude, you on that, the spot. That, what do you think? Well, I don't know. That kind of cuts into my latte habit. You know, it's Starbucks. <laughs> you know, that's that's, that's going to be two lattes less a month. But uh, I, I don't know. Maybe we can, maybe we can, maybe we can do something with 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 that. You know, because you know we need that blue check mark for our egos, right? <laughs> uh, that's all it's about, man. That's all it's for. If I have to pay dollars out of my pocket to get that ego boost, I'll happily do it. You know, they would always kind of like crack me up in the past when Twitter kind of had their own kind of like mysterious verification pro- process and and whatever, you kind of understand the reasoning behind it. But the ones I always kind of loved were the people that really needed to flex on that whole verified thing for their ego. And they kind of get like that wallpaper, like in the background that made it look like there was a check mark beside their name, but it wasn't really a check mark. Yeah. It was like totally like, like, like a fake out. I was just like, I felt so sorry for those people because I'm just like, really? Is is that the most important thing that you need is to have like a phony Twitter verified account? But hey, you know, you do you, you know, just, I just whatever. I want to I want to add thing, something about the verification piece because I'm highly suspicious of the verification process as as it's been administered in the last couple of years. I okay. either know personally people in my community that have no business, and when I talk about community, I mean in the lower mainland where we live, that have mm-hmm. no business being verified, that have found a way to get verified. And furthermore, <laughs> I know people who have connects at Twitter that are able to accelerate the rate that somebody can get verified. So I don't think it's necessarily been a particularly um, integrity-driven process in the past, but it is going to make it an awful lot harder to identify whether somebody is who you think they are. Because at least at least sometimes while I would see thousands of people that have no business being verified, if I saw somebody that I know and they were verified, um, at least I could rely on that being kind of a verified account. So it's going to be interesting. And all of that to say, I think Twitter has been, and I use it a lot, uh, to be totally honest, yeah. principally because I like to use it to engage with our community, uh, but also sure. sometimes as a source of news, and I like to see what's trending and things like that. But it's far from a perfect social media network, and I have no issue yeah. with somebody going in and being disruptive because it wasn't exactly perfect. So we'll see We'll see where it goes. And and for all of those, or for all of you that have joined Twitter principally because you wanted the opportunity to engage with us, if it does go sideways, I, I apologize. I apologize in advance. But <laughs> We certainly appreciate the opportunity to engage with all of you. 
Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, at least moving forward, we know that anyone that has a check mark starting from November 2022, we can say that they're verified to have $7 a month. So there you go. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So Formula One is also set to announce it's swapping from Emirates to Qatar Airways as their global partner and sponsor. Uh, they wanted uh, up to $15 million a year for that. Uh, and that's up from 25 mil uh, a year. So that's that that's a big one. That's uh, kind of interesting. Um, and also 25 years since this last happened. So 1997, there was a double DNF and a Constructors uh, Championship. And who was that team back in 97? That was Williams. Yeah. DNF'd in the opening round. And then this year, a double DNF in the opening round and a Constructors Championship goes to Red Bull. So that's who, kind of an interesting little stat. Who was the driver's champion in 1997, my friend? Would have that been JV? Jacques? JV, the Canadian. Yeah. So who would have been, going back to 97, who would have been Jacques' teammate at Williams? That's, that's, I'm, I'm, starts I'm drawing with a, a blank. Was it, was, 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 it wasn't uh, Heinz Harold Frensen, was it? No, starts with a. No. I'm, I'm drawing a complete blank on that. I'm just kind of doing the, the, the whole kind of like drag my, through my memory banks here to see if I can pull something out of the hat. And, oh, wait, uh, I, no, I can't you're think right. Of it. Yeah, you're right. It was Heinz Harold yeah. Frensen. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but you know what was weird? Because, you know, back in, in, in the 90s, of course, was the, uh, you know, the, it was still kind of like peak tobacco sponsorship. And regardless if it had the Rothmans logos on there, just that, that, that blue, the gold and the white on the Williams looked really, really good. And then, like, they, they'd always had blue for many, many years. And then back in the early 80s, if you look at some of the, when, when Williams first started up in the late 70s early 80s they were like predominantly white with green lettering on there they were sponsored by some what was it saudi airlines saudi, or something yeah. like saudi, that yeah yeah and then sort of mid 80s they they went to the, the 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 blue and the white with yellow on it and then in the 90s more more blue and white again so they kind of stuck with that and then i think it was like either 98 or 99 kind of like red. in jacques era they went with red and white and yellow because yeah. another tobacco sponsorship and it was yeah. like the most un-Williams color ever. And then you get into the early 2000s. And I think, is that when they got BMW power dark, at that point? They went dark blue at They went point. dark again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And just, th those... Yeah, jump me, in, my friend. Go me, for I'm it. I'm going to jump in here because it, it, it's funny. I remember, and I have so many stories about being at the Williams factory because they're such a wonderful group of people. But I remember years yeah. ago, my wife and I were at the the Williams factory and we were we were looking at some of the cars that they have on display in their heritage collection. And they had a couple of the cars that were wearing the green Saudia uh, livery. And and I mm -hmm. remember the, fo the folks that we were with, or one of the gentlemen that was with us um, from the Williams team, was kind of sharing with us the story about how that sponsorship came to be. And it wasn't as though it wasn't as though Williams had put out an RFP saying, Hey, look, you know, we're looking for a title sponsor, give us a million dollars a year, <laughs> but rather they targeted Saudi. So they specifically oh. went after them as a sponsor. And what I remember them saying is they actually took one of their F1 cars, one of their production F1 cars, they slapped on a Saudi livery and parked it outside of the hotel where members of where members of the Saudi royal family were staying. So that when the members wow. of the Saudi royal family exited the hotel, they had this F1 car parked on the street surrounded surrounded by media taking photos and things like that but they basically staged the car in front of the hotel to make that impression and it went over so well with the royal family that they ended up striking a deal and that's how that's how Saudi came to be on that Williams car 
That, that's amazing. What a perfect example of build it and they will come. Yes, so <laughs> I've, much I've so. never heard that story. That is absolutely amazing. Very, very cool. Okay, let's see what uh, we can uh, drag up here uh, next um, next on the list. And well, what I've we got the have. fantasy standings up. I've got the fantasy oh, okay. standings ready to go. So, Did it really take five minutes for the site to load? Because if so, it's getting better. <laughs> it's, it's not that it takes a long time to load. It's that you often have to log in again and again and again. And sometimes oh. it kicks you out and kicks you out and kicks you out. So took a couple of tries. Here we go. The top 10. The top 10 in the Scuderia F1 Podcast Super League. Number one from the UK, Andrew T. Number two, Aaron K. Number three, Whitman R. Number four, Thaddeus F. Number five, Yanko West. Number six, Radic W. Number seven, Marshall W. Number eight, Adam J. Number nine, Daffy A. And number 10, from the U.S., representing the great United States, Matthew B. So like I've said so many times this year, the U.K. continues to dominate the pool, which is amazing. Hopefully next year we can mix it up a little bit. But we still have two races left, and the top 10 finishers are still divided by, or separated, I should say, by less than 200 points. So there's everything up for grabs at this point. And if I look right now, so if I bring up, let me bring up the number one, two. So number one, Andrew T is currently sitting on 4,121 points and Aaron K is sitting on 4,096 points. So there's only a couple of dozen points separating them. So this championship, unlike the actual championships, this championship (laughs) is still wide open. Wide open. Very, very cool. Hey, next one here. I'm just looking at the show outline here, Hammy. I don't don't see any more, so I'm I'm hoping maybe you can expand on this, uh, but just according to Motorsport uh, Total, deadline for 2026 power unit entries extended till 15 November, and that has been extended by 30 days because uh, it originally was set for an October 15th deadline. A- any more information yeah, on that? Uh, do you have some really, reasoning on why? Yeah, this, this is a really interesting story, and it actually ties in, and I didn't realize this until I was kind of doing some of my pre-work before we sat down to record this podcast, but we have uh, another story later in this podcast that this kind of intertwines with or kind of ties into. So I think we can probably address both of them. But the story here out of Motorsport Total in Germany is that the deadline for the 2026 power unit entry has been extended, like you said, from November 15th. It was originally October 15th. So that October 15th date has actually lapsed. And that was the date that manufacturers who intended to uh, deploy a power unit or enter a power unit in 2026. And of course, 2026 is relevant because that's the year we're going to have all new um, engine or power unit regulations that October 15th was the date that you had to submit your entry. So you basically had to come to the FIA and Formula One said, hey, we fully intend to be competing or supplying power units for 2026. So quietly, October 25th or October 15th came and passed. Mm-hmm. Um, notably, and we probably should have picked up on this, one of the teams that we <clears throat> all expected to be submitting an application was Porsche. And Porsche did it. Um, and now all of a sudden, this date is being pushed back to November 15th. So there's, there's a couple of reasons for this. One is that potentially potentially that there is a manufacturer that is trying to get its trying to get its administrative and logistical side in order to submit an application and who that would be I don't know maybe Porsche um, maybe Hyundai we've obviously heard a lot about that and maybe potentially Ford but it is interesting that this deadline has been pushed back now the other story that this kind of ties into and I'm just going to bring it up on my computer here the other story that this really ties into is the fact that for the first time 
F1, specifically F1 CEO Stefano Domenicali, has started to warm to the idea of allowing an 11th team on the grid. So we know because we've covered this for what feels like years is that the Andretti Motorsport Group desperately wants to get an F1 team onto the grid. And that Formula One has been very, very cold to the idea of allowing Andretti to enter Formula One. And the basis for that coldness or the understanding is that F1 was very hungry or had expectations that a manufacturer was going to enter the sport. So Andretti Mm -hmm. is effectively a constructor. They're effectively um, a customer team because they aren't in a position to develop their own power unit, but that what F1 really wanted was another manufacturer team, whether that's Ford, whether that's Hyundai. And I think, and I'm going to read here a really interesting, a really interesting, uh, note on Reddit, and this is from Coops27, but he says that in acknowledging that F1 is warming to the idea of an 11th team on the grid, that, and I'm going to quote this, this is Domenicali acknowledging that there are no more manufacturers coming. The deadline for a new power unit manufacturer to declare for 2026 was October 15th. If a new power unit manufacturer were to attempt to enter now for 2027, presuming we pass that date, the 15th, and no two teams do line up, if a new power unit manufacturer were to attempt to enter now for 2027, they would be a full year behind the development of Audi and Red Bull, as well as trying to compete with the established power units of Mercedes, Ferrari, and Renault. They would be trying to compete for staff for an F1 project after the five other manufacturers have selected their workforce. Nobody wants to invest all of this money and be the sixth best manufacturer. The next realistic shot at adding manufacturers is probably going to be 2031, which by the way, is probably the next time we're going to refresh the engine um, regulations. So rather in this, he continues, so rather than delay expanding the series beyond 10 teams till then, they, FIA slash Formula One, can accept at least one new entrant that will help them continue this impressive growth that should see F1 revenues go over $2.5 billion this year. So on the one hand- We should have had these manufacturers submit their applications for entry by October 15th. That date quietly came and went. It's been bumped now for six days from now. So October 15th, it's it's unlikely that anyone is going to. Ford's unlikely to, Hyundai's unlikely to, Porsche's unlikely to. Um, And now at the same time, Stefano Domenicali is kind of saying like, hey, you know, we kind of would be open to an 11th team on the grid, given the fact that it's unlikely now that a new manufacturer would join between this date and 2031. So it's kind of interesting how it all kind of ties together. Yeah, it, it is really, you know, and I, I kind of go back and think of some of the the names that have been tossed around there wanting to get on the grid. You know, Andretti is the one that you mentioned in Porsche. Those seem like the, the, the two that have made the most noise. Like Hyundai, it, it's funny. I know that they've had success in other areas of motorsport, but it seemed, it, it seemed a bit of a unusual one to me that uh, they might jump into Formula One. Who knows? Maybe they might, uh, but it just seems, I don't know, it just doesn't seem as likely. But, but Porsche, I find quite strange you would have thought that some you know a manufacturer of their their stature would have been able to figure something out by now because i mean it seemed for the longest time that uh, when it came to you know themselves in red bull it just seemed not a question of if but when and then sort of drug you know, it dragged on and on and on. It was supposed to happen at the beginning of July at the Austrian Grand Prix, and that never happened. And then it just didn't happen at all. But uh, yeah, interesting. I mean, 15th is coming up in just uh, several days from now. We'll see if uh, anybody uh, takes the plunge. 
Anyways, talking about taking the plunge, time here to take a quick break. We'll come back. And on the flip side, we are going to talk about a statement or an opinion piece written by the FAA President Mohammed Ben Sulaim. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. So don't go away. We will be right back. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. All right. Welcome back. Mark Daly, Mark Hamilton here, breaking down all the latest Formula One news. Uh, we were just discussing before the break a couple of things. Uh, most, uh, well, the last story we talked about before the break was just uh, the potential of another manufacturer entering the sports with the 2026 power unit deadline extended now until the 15th of November. We'll see if anyone takes the plunge. So the next one is an opinion piece that, uh, that I'm reading here on motorsport.com and is written by by FIA President Mohammed Ben Suleim, and it says, we must stand united against online abuse. And then he goes on to say, online abuse has become a blight on our sport. The level of sustained toxicity has reached a crisis point. It is time for all of us to unite and to act. All right, Hammy, this is something that, uh, you know, you and I, we talk about. This is something that, you know, any kind of abuse, any type of harassment or bullying just totally is unacceptable. And I'm kind of surprised that Ben Suleim would would stand up and, and make this proclamation and say that. But I'm, I'm glad that he is somebody with his, his stature and his position should stand up and call people out. What, what do you think? Completely agree. And one of the one of the comments that he makes in this opinion piece, as you mentioned for motorsport.com, and I quote is, it is totally unacceptable that our volunteers, officials, mm-hmm. and employees are subjected to this extreme abuse. It has no place in our sport. It has devastating effect on our mental health and that of our loved one. And he continues, I will always stand up for my staff and volunteers. And let me be clear, without these people, there would be no racing. We have to ask ourselves, who would want to pursue becoming a top official in this environment? The reality is obvious. If this continues, it will destroy our 
sport. So I think I think this is good. And I, I think, unfortunately, what we've seen, and when you talk about society more broadly, I think social media has enabled this type of abuse. But unfortunately, what we've begun to see is people who are very influential. And I'm not talking about a troll who stereotypically lives in their parents' basement and spits <laughs> and spews vitriol on Twitter in the yep. early hours of the morning while guzzling Jolt Cola. But I'm, I'm talking about sometimes very influential celebrities and politicians mm. have begun to use social media to make really devastating and inappropriate claims and yeah. accusations against against their ops and unfortunately this trickles down to to society more broadly and unfortunately this type of thing is now all too commonplace so obviously i've i've been a uh, quite critical of Mohammed bin Salam as president of the FIA for a number of different reasons. But I think it's really, really good that he takes a moment to draw this line in the sand. And as I was reading this, I was thinking about Peter and Marshall and some of our, our listeners who are those mm -hmm. exact volunteers that he talks about that volunteer yep. in the grassroots of motorsports and makes it possible. And I'll be honest, like if you don't have volunteers, there is no autocross. You need somebody out there spotting in the corners and picking up cones when Mark Hamilton in 2002 veers his front-wheel drive Hyundai Tiburon into a in a core <laughs> corner too hot. Like you need these things, and and I think it was I think it was very good for him to to come out in defense of all of those people because I've I've talked oftentimes about you know. FIA at that office in Paris in their in their ivory tower but I think it's really cool to see him coming out and and defending the folks that are on the front lines of motorsports making it making it happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely and there there's no place for that in in motorsport or just in society in general. And I like what uh, Ben Suleyam has outlined. He said that they've initiated uh, several processes, um, uh, including entering to dialogue with uh, different social media platforms to basically get them to, to step up and, and do their bit when it comes to moderating and eradicating this type of uh, uh, behavior. Uh, he talked about working with gov governments and uh, fellow sports governing bodies to help uh, bringing everyone together, make commitments for, for joint action on this uh, sort of thing. He said that they're commissioning uh, research in the FIA University into, this is a new term for me, digital hate. And uh, that he goes on to say also toxic commentary specific to sport. And it'll provide a platform for knowledge sharing, education and prevention. And they've also, and Formula One that is, or the FIA has partnered with Arwin.ai to use their AI software to detect and eradicate abusive content on their own channels. Now, apparently uh, Mercedes has already implemented this uh, AI from, from Arwin.ai and it reduced uh, this sort of uh, you know, behavior by up to 70%. So very, very interesting. I, you know, I just... The thing like that, you know, like the keyboard warrior that you you, you outlined is just I, I don't know what people think that they can just because they're detached physically from a situation that they can just punch into their phone or into their laptop or whatever it is, things that they would never say in public. But it's also kind of disturbing. It's just like, hey, what, they won't say it to you face to face. But obviously, those horrible things are there in their mind and they're just using, you know, they're making use of the opportunity in a different manner, but you know, it's, it's just not cool. You know, it just has no place uh, anywhere. Okay. So moving along. So this is kind of cool. One 40,000 people turned out recently for the launch party for the new F1 race in Las Vegas next year. Um, 
you know, obviously we didn't get an invite, but who knows? Maybe the next time that, you know, there's a launch at a, you know, marquee destination Formula One team, maybe we might still not get invited. (laughs) We, by the way, had many, many listeners that were in attendance for this party. Ah, Don't tell me that, man. I don't, I'm not going to dox any of them because I don't know that it's appropriate (laughs) that I just start throwing out names. I do that all the time, but I won't now. But uh, to all those listeners that attended this event and made me incredibly jealous, thank you for sharing photos via social media that made me even more jealous. But it looks like it was a a total blast. And I think what this speaks to is how big or just how big and how much investment Formula One, FOM, Liberty is going to make in this event, that this is going to become a permanent flagpole event on on the calendar. And I think you've probably mm-hmm. seen on social media, the numbers being thrown about that Formula One, Liberty, they're investing half a billion dollars reportedly to build a permanent paddock facility and a, and a Formula One themed entertainment complex that will operate 12 months of the year, uh, that this is going to be, uh, this is going to be something not insignificant that if we thought Miami was big and Miami was special, a late night Saturday yep. night or early Sunday morning, depending on where you are, uh, a Saturday night Formula One Grand Prix on the strip is going to be something to behold. Oh yeah, Saturday night primetime, baby! I can't wait. It's gonna gonna be awesome. Looking forward to that in uh, you know just hey, over a year maybe, from now. But maybe to celebrate our three year anniversary together, you can take <laughs> me. Although that might involve a divorce on both of our ends. To be totally honest, so uh, maybe maybe not. Well, it would indicate commitment to one thing and a lack of commitment <laughs> on our own personal fronts. <laughs> totally. <laughs> but, you know, just it, it's pretty cool. Uh, at the at the launch there, they had uh, Lewis Hamilton, George Russell, and Sergio Perez on hand. They uh, did uh, car demonstrations in modern and historic uh, Formula One cars. They closed down parts of Las Vegas Boulevard with, uh, you know, to, to do it. So it's pretty cool. Uh, Lewis had to say, quote, I'm so excited to be here in Vegas, just driving down the strip, watching movies like so many of you have seen in Vegas and the lights. This race is for sure going to be the best race of all time. We have races like Singapore and Monaco, for example, is pretty hectic. It's definitely not going uh, to be easy to focus, but we'll be here to try and win the race, of course. Hopefully we get to enjoy a bit of what the city has to offer, end quote. So very cool. One year to go, guys, and we will be in Vegas. And just go, you can go to the uh, the, the Formula1.com uh, website and they have a gallery up and uh, looks it looks like it was an absolute blast to uh, what they were doing there, you know, doing the donuts and everything. So it looks looks like a really really good time. Um, George Russell believes that Formula One can thrive in America without good racing. So that's a bit of an interesting one. George had to say, quote, I think how the sport is growing on a whole across the whole globe is incredible, but especially in America, it's more than just a race now. It's this mega event for the fans at home, for the fans at the races, and to have the addition of Las Vegas is going to be pretty spectacular. Formula One had put a lot of emphasis on trying to make the racing as exciting as possible, as crazy as it may sound, that's never actually been done before in the history of Formula One. Past regulations were never made with the sole purpose of the racing better for the fans. This year was the first attempt at it, and there's re- already been a real uplift in how exciting the race is going to be. And I think it's only going to get better and better. End quote. So there you go. And he says that as long as the racing is good, people are going to enjoy it. But Yeah, shout out, by the way, or, to Elizabeth sorry, Blackstock. To- 
Elizabeth yes. Blackstock wrote that article that we're quoting here for Jalopnik. So I just want to make sure we shout out to uh, to our good friend. Yeah, and I think uh, maybe I should just uh, maybe correct myself because I think he's uh, that he said F1 can thrive in America with without good, good racing. With good racing. With, with good with racing. Good racing. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, but it's interesting though. Like he did bring up that point that the, the regs in the past certainly weren't so there to you know weren't there to promote good racing and i think by he's saying that this is the first attempt at it i don't think that's a criticism i think what uh, he's saying is they're trying it they want to get there and kind of reading between the lines my own kind of uh, my, my own own interpretation of that is according to george russell that there's still some way to go before they nail those regs down to get the cars where they need to be to you know you know, facilitate closer racing and maybe more overtaking, more exciting stuff. I mean, we've seen it at time to time uh, this year, not at every race, not every weekend, but uh, it's it's been tantalizing, uh, certainly at, at times. Okay, so um, this is an interesting one because this is one that's kind of been floating around now for a couple of weeks, and this it's not really a link to the, the the story about the the digital hate and the the online harassment and stuff like that. But this is just this ongoing saga and the uh, the, the Red Bull Sky Sports spat, if you want to call it that, disagreement. And this uh, came after the uh, you know was it after uh, the uh, was it the U.S. Grand Prix? I guess it was the U.S. Grand Prix at uh, Coda a couple of weeks ago when Sky Sports uh, Ted Kravitz said basically Lewis got robbed of the title in 2021. Uh, Max Verstappen basically said he was tired of the continued uh, disrespects and they uh, ended up just boycotting Sky. And then they, I think they said that uh, after the Mexican Grand Prix a week and a half ago that that boycott would be lifted by the time that they get to uh, Brazil. But apparently. Sky Sports F1 director Billy McGinty will take a trip to the Red Bull uh, factory of Milton Keys uh, this week as part of what uh, he's calling a, a reconciliation uh, program to or a reconciliation process, pardon me, to uh, draw a line under after the fallouts or draw a line under the fallout is I think what uh, McGinty said. So th- th- this is kind of interesting. I mean, we, we did talk about it uh, last week, just that the fact that it got to this point, but you know, it's I I I don't know <laughs> about this one. It, it, it's funny because you know we we've talked about it before. How that uh, you know with a, a lot of the you know established F one media just doesn't go out on the a limb very often and is not very critical, especially about Formula One, the organization themselves. And one guy that's uh, you know does what a journalist should do. I mean, you you can I'll, I'll debate with you whether you know robbed was the the right word or whether you know Ted should have you know has the right take or maybe he's being a little bit uh, too biased. I mean, those those are all fair things. But I mean, you know, it's just sort of journalistic commentary. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, the way that that it, it played out, of course. Max won the race and therefore he won the championship and it wasn't anything that he did. It was just because of the bizarre and awfully clumsy manner in way they, they tried to restart that race with the, you know, after Nick Latifi put it into the wall and they had the safety car out there and then the unlapping and the non-unlapping of lap cars and, and all that stuff. So, I mean, Max won the race, but I mean, you know, I mean, I, I guess that really is it. I mean, 
you know, but the thing is, he he called it like he saw it, and now he's being punished for it. So, the, to me, this is the perfect example of why more journalists in Formula One don't speak up and say stuff like that. Because, as you've uh, so rightly said so many times, Sammy, that they're afraid of losing that access and. You know, that's basically what happened uh, to Ted. But instead of cutting him out of the picture, they cut out the whole organization, which blows my mind. You you summarized it perfectly. And, you know, I've said this before. I don't really have a dog in, in the fight when it comes to the championship. I just I want to see good racing and I want to see a, a competitive championship. And I, I just want to see it go down to the wire. And and obviously mm-hmm. what, what happened last year in the season finale was was a terrible way to wrap up what had been a historic, historic championship. You know what? Max deserved better. Lewis deserved better. The fans deserved better. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that outcome just fueled waves of negativity that just continued to crash on the shore of Formula One right into this season. But I like your point that, you know, we want our, we want our media personalities to be to be comfortable criticizing the sport and challenging the sport. And I don't think that they necessarily are. And I think there's a deeply uncomfortable level of integration between Formula One and Sky as their broadcast partner. And, you know, I shared last Mm -hmm. week that I love the fact that on TNT and TNT is one of the NBA's main broadcast partners, at least when it comes to nationally televised games, because of course they don't do regional broadcasts, but they do nationally televised weekly games. I just love the fact that all of the panelists, you know, Shaq and and Charles Barkley sat there and they were comfortably op- or comfortable openly criticizing the league and a team and a player for some atrocious off the court conduct and there was no backlash the team wasn't forfeiting or not kind of performing their media duties or obligations like at halftime and post race. And I feel like there's a tremendous amount of sensitivity here from, from the Red Bull organization. And let's be honest, Ted's notebook is a throwaway segment that sees very, very, very little viewership to begin with. Um, and I just feel mm-hmm. like if, if we're all being professionals here and Red Bull has a concern, why not have that cons- have those conversations constructively offline or outside of the purview of the the general public like this is just a bad look for the sport and it does make red bull look very sensitive and i think the other thing that i i'm often confused by is they believe that there is what what christian horner and helmet marco and and Max Verstappen have openly commented about before is this perceived bias against them that sky sports is a british broadcast organization, which is true, although I guess it's effectively owned by Rupert Murdoch, but that there's this bias against them. But are they not based out of Milton Keynes? Is not their factory in the UK? Are all their suppliers not, with the exception of Honda, are all their suppliers not UK based? Is their entire (laughs) roster of employees, with the exception of a few main executives, not British? Like To me, they are a British team, and maybe they don't have a successful British driver, but I just, that, that that kind of kind of throwaway comment about there being this integrated British bias with Sky Sports isn't necessarily something that I necessarily buy. I just think they were being very, very sensitive in this case, and all of this could have been handled outside of the purview of the public. But at the same time, you make an awesome point, which is if I am a credentialed member of the F1 media and I watch this going down and I see Red Bull forfeiting or effectively blockading Sky Sports for a race, like, oh my God, if I've got a juicy story or something that I can report on, 
here's just another reason why I'm not going to do it because my access is going to be blocked. So when we talk about freedom of speech, when it comes to reporting on F1, yeah. like this is a really Great troubling, point. troubling development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's interesting too because you made a, g- a great point. Because when it comes to what happened last year, yes, Marina, you said Max deserved better, Lewis deserved better, the fans deserve better. It, it, it's so true because I mean, say Max never wins another championship, or he wins another five or six or whatever, everybody will always talk about that first championship. And for for many 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 people, there will be an asterisk beside it that he was world champion in twenty twenty one. And I can't help but wonder how much that motivated Max this year to win. I mean, of course, he's had the best car and the best engine this year that's given him an obvious advantage over everyone else. But I I mean, it's not that he's just being good, but I mean, he's buried everyone. I mean, he's underlined each and every victory and this championship in 2022. I mean, it's been you know the point has been made many many times and i just can't help but feel that that just maybe even unconsciously that he just wants there to be like you know just emphasize that <laughs> this is his championship but yeah you know i i, I don't like that um, it, it reeks of suppression of free speech and of, yeah of course it's different than reporters reporting on say something happening in the real world that human rights rights abuses or political corruption or or anything it doesn't even really matter but i i i i don't like that that opaqueness i don't like i i prefer transparency i just like being able you know to see reporters being able to report on the things that they're seeing and yeah like you say for for something that doesn't really garner a lot of attention to begin with it's so strange that they should react to that it's like almost if you would think it's like they have a bit of a guilty conscience but our, <laughs> who knows that's our just a long time of- listeners are going to groan because i'm bringing this up again but again 28th of february 2020 the fia reaches a quote unquote settlement with ferrari following a 2019 engine investigation nobody yeah. nobody in all of the formula one media dug into that or tried to do any reporting or questioned how there could be a settlement that was that lacked any like any semblance of transparency that yeah formula one is very 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 funny in that way and unfortunately to me sometimes it 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 reeks of that WWE experience, which is, and I'm not saying yeah. Formula One is yeah. rigged, but in WWE, it's all one vertical organization that the broadcasters, the performers, everyone, they all have the same employer. They're reading off of a script. And in F1, sometimes it just it reeks of that. And again, I'm not saying that this sport is rigged in any possible way, but the lack of transparency and the lack of willingness uh, of the reporters to dig into some of these stories is deeply troubling. Yeah, and just, you know, you brought up WWE, and now that I'm fighting the urge to do either my Hulk Hogan or my Macho Man Randy Savage impersonation, which oddly kind of actually sound identical, leads me to believe that this is a good time to take a deep breath and take a break, and then we'll let our sponsors do their thing, and then we'll come back, and we'll talk about what everybody wants to talk about. That's cost cap. Yay! Anyways, we're (laughs) going to take a quick break, guys. We'll be back in just a moment. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. Welcome back to the show. And mailbag, Mark, Hammy, everybody's saying we want more cost cap coverage. This is what everybody wants. And of course, no, it isn't. We haven't had a single email about the cost cap. But uh, it's interesting that um, Red Bull, who recently went into this... uh, you know, cost cap uh, overspend and this, uh, pr- you know, this uh, overspend breach, and they came to agreement with the FIA and got slapped with a seven million dollar fine and the uh, the the uh, the, the testing uh, reduction and wind tunnel time and all that sort of stuff. They believe that up to six teams could exceed the twenty twenty two cost cap limit. So the cost cap was uh you know, which they were fined for last year was uh or recently for breaching it for, for last year's was $145 million. That is a sliding down. Anyways, uh, Helmut Marco said that uh, he believes that several F1 teams are already pretty close or risking uh, breaching the, the the financial cost cap, citing or citing inflation and energy costs as the main uh, reasons. So uh, he told uh, Mo- uh, Auto Motor and Sport, "I think the current situation is that six teams are above it. Inflation that is something that was not calculable to that extent, especially with energy costs. So interesting that you know he would." you know, have those numbers. And I'm just wondering where he's kind of getting that from, because, you know, it kind of goes back, maybe think, uh, you know, before the FIA announced that uh, Red Bull and Aston Martin had, you know, breached the cost cap for from from 2021, it was already out there. It was out there for like a week. I mean, it, it took them, you know, their sweet time to really come up and they delayed the announcement a couple of times. But, you know, how's, where, where's Marco getting his intel from that, you know, <laughs> kind of interests me. It's like, uh, I want some answers here because how does he know this before the year is even over? Yeah, I had to do some digging on this one because that was my, <laughs> that was my question as well, that you would think that the finances of all the individual teams would be closely guarded secrets, but a According to Christian Horner, according to Christian Horner, and I quote, there is that chance that several teams, many of which have stated it during Formula One commission meetings, will break the cap this year. So it sounds like in the environment, in the atmosphere of spiraling, skyrocketing inflation, uh, that many teams have probably shared that they are in a lot of trouble as it relates to the cap, simply because while we saw a bump in the cap this year, I think of 3.5% to account for inflationary pressures and energy costs, particularly in Western Europe, um, I, I think a lot of teams are probably still perilously close or anticipating that they are going to exceed the cap. And as a result, I'm sure a lot of them were watching 
the outcome of the the Red Bull saga over the past couple of weeks very closely, anticipating that they could be in the exact same scenario. So I think that any cap overspends this year will probably not be egregious in the sense that these were teams trying to manipulate the financial regulations, but rather they simply couldn't get a grasp because I think given the fluctuation in currencies, especially, oh, that's the other thing too. And this has just occurred to me as we we're talking man. seven of the teams are based in the UK where the currency is crashing, which makes expenses mm-hmm. and, and part supply and supply chains all that more unpredictable. And then you compound that with these global inflationary pressures. And then you compound that further with the energy costs in Europe. I think for a lot of the teams, and I would assume that six of these teams are probably based in the UK, that it's very, very difficult that all of a sudden this cost cap is becoming a a moving target that you want to spend as close to it as you can so you can be as competitive as possible. But at the same time, if you spend close and all of a sudden that inflation hits you or some of these costs become unpredictably high or unexpectedly high, all of a sudden you breach the cap. So very, very, very interesting. And all of that to say, and like I said with Red Bull, that if any of these teams overspend, absolutely nail them to the wall. But unfortunately, as we've discussed before, the financial regulations are written in such a way that sanctions can be themselves a moving target and fairly unpredictable and that they could be very different for any of these teams, even if their overspend is identical to that of of Red Bull, which just to me means that the financial regulations need to be rewritten to be a little bit more, a little bit more clear. But yeah, I think that's enough cost cap for one week, for one month, for one year. <laughs> you know, that, that makes perfect sense, uh, the, the way that the information has come to light. You know, you know, me being me, I was kind of hoping that, you know, maybe he might divulge there's like a secret WhatsApp group between <laughs> some of like the F1 You're not in that WhatsApp wigs. group? It's Come like, on. It's kind of like like the old helmet. Marco's like at, at Zach Brown. Zach, you good, bro? And then you know it's like, yeah, bro, we're not good. And then Marco's like, lol, lol, lol emoji, LOL. emoji, <laughs> emoji. And then an imp- inappropriate gif or a meme or something. Yeah, you know, is is it proper for like you know forty something year old dudes to be talking like you know fifteen year olds? I don't know. So Lol, <laughs> maybe we <bro>. should. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we should Dude, move on. So it's so funny. Danny, today, oh, sorry. today, Go my ahead. son, who's like four, came up to. Me, he's like, "Yo, bro, bro, you want to play basketball, bro?" I'm like, where did, <laughs> "Where did you even learn to call me, bro?" Like, it's hilarious coming from a four year old. But where did you learn that expression? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you should just uh, record yourself over the course of a day. Maybe you know he's he's mirroring oh, dear yeah, old dad. Yeah, there. I think so. <laughs> yeah, although he hasn't dropped any f bombs. So oh no! Maybe, maybe oh not. no! He <laughs> has and he does. <laughs> oh yes, yeah, he Uh-oh. has and he does. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> Moving along, before this gets even more awkward, we revulge to or reveal too much of the uh, you know Hamilton dirty laundry here. Danny Ricardo apparently in talks with Mercedes and Red Bull over reserve driver roles for 2023. So Danny's already confirmed 100. He's not going to be on the grid next season. Uh, he lost his drive at McLaren to fellow Australian uh, Oscar Piastri, and uh, so now Total Wolf has confirmed that uh, that Mercedes is interested and 
that uh, they've actually held talks with uh, Danny Ricardo. And uh, Wolf uh, told uh, Sky Sports at uh, the Mexico City Grand Prix the other week, quote, I think Daniel's speaking to a, free, a few teams about a potential role. For us, we very much like him. He's a great character, but we are not yet in a position who is going to be our third driver, end quote. So interesting, Mark. You know, Danny's name has been thrown out there quite a bit of times as to what he might do in 2023. And one of those was a, a media role, which obviously you would think would be a good fit for 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 daniel but well what do you think about like the reserve driver role is is any kind of role within a formula one team good for him if it's not a race drive and does that still leave the door open for for ricardo to get back into a car for 2024 is this kind of just prolonging the inevitable what what do you think i guess we have to define what defining the inevitable is and if the inevitable is that he exited from driving a formula one car for the rest of his career then maybe this is just maybe this is just kind of dragging that outcome out but i think if he has a Mm -hmm. goal or an objective to secure a formula one seat again i don't think he can afford to take a year off to work in the media i just think Formula One is such an incredible, as a driver, is such an incredibly fast paced sport. And I think it changes so quickly. And I think that every day you're out of the car while your competitors are in the car is a significant personal and professional disadvantage. And I think if he wants to stay in the sport and he has the opportunity to spend a year in a car, in a sim with a world class organization like Mercedes, or Red Bull, you have to do it. You cannot go to the media. You cannot be calling races for ESPN and expect to get a seat next year with a a team on, on the grid. To me, this is the the most logical possible step for him to to increase the likelihood that he could find a Formula One seat. And I just, I think it's also really good to be surrounded by greatness. And if he goes to Mercedes, he's surrounded by greatness. And if he goes to Red Bull, he's surrounded by greatness. And if either of these opportunities arise for him, I think he absolutely has to do it. And forget as well the fact that as the reserve driver, there's nothing to say he doesn't get the opportunity to drive a Mercedes or a Red Bull car next year. And what a huge opportunity and boost that would be for his career. We see drivers get sick and sometimes drivers get COVID and sometimes drivers get sick that these things happen. Or look mm-hmm. at look at Alex Albon. He missed a race this year and Nick got that huge opportunity, which he transformed into a concrete concrete or concrete concrete, a concrete contract <laughs> with Alpha Tauri that I don't know, man, like if there's an opportunity to be a reserve driver for either of these teams, I would take that over going to Indy for a full-time ride. Yeah, I mean the the one thing you know, I'm I'm going to counter that a, a little bit. Sure, he stays up to date with the, with the, with the technology. He gets uh, he gets into the car, even if it's probably mostly going to be in a sim role, and you know maybe he gets to to put some real miles on the track at some point for for various different reasons that you just outlined, but. Say that doesn't happen. Say he spends the entire season in the simulator or in the garage waiting for the opportunity when his services are called upon because Lewis Hamilton or George Russell is not good to go on a Sunday. And I just think if that's the case and, you know, come summer of 23 or whenever silly season starts and seats for 2024 start coming up that the people that were looking at Danny Ricardo in 2022 and had reasons not to give him a drive 
we'll still have those same reasons one one year from now, right? I, I just, you know, I, I see the argument that you're making that, yeah, sure, you know, maybe he gets the opportunity to, to, to drive that car, maybe he fills in because somebody, you know, isn't able to go on a, on a race weekend for whatever reason. But I, I just don't see how like a one one off, uh, you know, and that basically comes down to, you know, poor luck for Lewis or George and a good opportunity for Danny to maybe show he still got it. I just don't know how like a one-off audition like that would really change the minds of, you know, all those team principals up and down the paddock. So, you know, you know, best of luck to them. You know, I, I don't want to say it's it's not going to happen. I, I just think the chances of him getting back into Formula One in a full-time drive capacity in 2024 just... It seems more and more remote oh. even e- each and every so week. So that you know? I agree with. So I, I know I'm talking about strategically that if he's getting great advice from his team and his manager and his agent, yep. the right thing to do to prolong your career or to create or nurture an opportunity to come back, it's to be a reserve driver for one of these teams. Yep, 100%. I don't think there's going to yep. be a seat for him in 2024. If there's a seat for him in yep. 2024, there would have been a seat for him in 2023 and that doesn't exist. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, if we're having this conversation about a team, say, like Williams or Haas, you know, somebody at the with a smaller bottom of the grid kind of teams, I'd be like, Danny, why are you going to a team like that, um, you know, to to be a reserve driver? But, you know, like you say, I mean, if he could be, you know, when he's at, at, at Red Bull or Mercedes, like you say, he's surrounded by greatness, both in the garage, out of the garage. I mean, these are teams that are winners for a very, very good reason because they're the best, right? They're the best teams out there. I know we can throw Ferrari into that conversation as well, but he's, as far as we know, not talking to them. But yeah, it, it, it's an interesting one. I, I hope personally for him it works out. It's just, you know, might have to see it to believe it, but who knows, maybe he gets his butt back into a car full-time in uh, 2024. So moving along, Total Wolf says Mercedes lost eight to 10 months of development during their car problems in 2022. And that was uh, basically all down to the porpoising problems that uh, they had uh, with the car, with the W13, which, uh, you know, just didn't porpoise. It just wildly bounced all, all over the, the the place. And I think one of the lasting images I'm going to have in my mind after we put a bow on the 2022 season and, you know, put it up on the shelf for eternity is just those images of Lewis, you know, at Azerbaijan having to get helped out of the car and just, you know, you know, looking at Lewis, who's an extremely fit and athletic person staggering around like, 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 an elderly person with mobility problems. It was just, uh, that was just shocking. And I mean, I know we had the, the, the conversation with uh, Tim Haraney that there was a lot of things that they could have done themselves to eliminate the, the, the porpoising, but they didn't want to because it was going to affect the performance of uh, the car otherwise. But it's just, you know, it, it's crazy to me that a team like Mercedes just wasn't able to, to figure this one out. But then I guess maybe that is the, uh, the, the cost cap in action that you just couldn't throw buckets and buckets of money and people and resources at a problem and have it go away in in two weeks or less or whatever it might be. I'm getting the nod in silence so that, uh, you know, whatever I see that. Now I got the thumbs I'm, up. I'm, I'm warming up. So I'm prepping. Move, move I'm quietly up. prepping in the background <laughs> for MotoGP <laughs> Corner. So if I'm if I'm quiet right now, it's because I'm absorbing your wonderful commentary and analysis, but I'm getting ready for go. MotoGP Corner, baby. 
Okay. So, um, did you want to talk uh, a little bit more about the? Because now we, we've gotten to the show out part in the show outline that uh, you know we talked about earlier about uh, perhaps that eleventh uh, grid entry. Or do you feel like yeah, we think, already I discussed think we did that a pretty enough? Good at, job of the covering okay. that. And if you're joining us a little bit late, we just talked about the fact that hey, Formula One, Stefano Domenicali, they've warmed to the idea of allowing an eleventh team on the grid and. The reason, presumably, yep. reportedly, that they weren't warming to an entry like Andretti's is because, um, ideally, in the spirit of increasing the valuation of all the teams, they believed that it was the sport was better served by waiting for a manufacturer like a Hyundai or a Ford or a Porsche to join the yeah. grid. And, yeah. and again, it looks like it's not going to happen, and it probably won't now happen until the next revision of uh, the power units in 2031, um, unless the 2026 regs get extended. But um, it looks like they're warming to the idea of an Andretti or a team like that entering the sport now, which is uh, which is not, yep. not a terrible thing either. I think both you and I would agree that 10 teams and 20 cars on the grid isn't enough. Yeah, you know, certainly I, I, I wouldn't want to see, obviously, any less. It'd be kind of interesting, you know, just in a, in a general point of, you know, discussion, like what would that sweet spot be? I mean, I, I think twenty cars works. It could be more, but but when does it get too much? Because I mean, in the past, and this is probably the more distant past, there were a lot of teams and a lot of cars, and a lot of those teams and cars were not very good to the point that you know they had like pre qualifying yeah. that these the you know the 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 crappier cars and the crappier teams essentially had to race just for the opportunity to qualify, and then you had the whole hundred seven percent rule, which uh, I don't. I don't think it's been used in no time recently, but those were all instituted for a reason. And that was, I, I, I don't ever remember off the top of my head what the, the biggest number of teams and cars was, but it probably would have been pushing 30 at one point in, in the past. I don't, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, it, it seemed like there, there was a lot because I, I, I do remember going back and looking at some of these like season, sort of summaries from from years gone by and looking back in like the 80s and 90s is is like who is that driver and what is that car and what is that team is it did they even qualify for a single race did they even successfully pre-qualify so anyways we'll see what uh, where that sweet spot uh, is let's take uh, one more quick break everyone will come back Uh, i've got a couple of stories here for moto gp corner and then we will i guess we'll do a part two of our Brazilian Grand Prix, which we did last week. So <laughs> at least we we should have rehearsed it enough by now. So quick break, back in moments, don't go away. All right, welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. And we are now not going to talk about Formula One because Habby's prepped a couple of stories for MotoGP Corner, which is something we like to talk about. We don't talk about that necessarily enough. So, uh, Hammy, take First it away. First of all, I assume you'll put in the MotoGP jingle in post-production. But uh, a couple of stories this week. One of them... Actually, about that, I think you got to resend me the file so I can put it into the audio carts oh, and uh, post-production oh, for daily. next time. So, oh, daily. That's that's my. I will, bad. I will find that's the file bad. and fire it over to you. But two stories this week. Uh, one of them is is a cool. little bit sad. So Suzuki, who was a full time team a manufacturer in MotoGP until 2011, they left for a couple of years and they came back full time in 2015. Um, I have a soft spot for this team. 
interesting, partly because I, I like their road bikes. I've never owned a Suzuki GSXR or GSX, but I really do like the bikes. Um, I was also in Silverstone. I was at Silverstone for the British Grand Prix in 2016 when uh, Maverick Vinales won nice. a race, their first race a win after their return to MotoGP. So that was very cool to be able to see that and be in person for that. But uh, Suzuki, in a shock move, announced earlier this year that they're actually exiting MotoGP after this season. And now that the MotoGP season hmm. has concluded, uh, their time in the championship has come to a close again. And one of their two drivers, one of their two former drivers, uh, Joanne Mir, um, has expressed how unhappy and how shocked he was with their exit. And of course, Joanne Mir, former MotoGP world champion, he won the MotoGP Formula or the MotoGP Formula One, the MotoGP championship in 2020 in the 14 race 2020 COVID shortened season. Um, of course, that was also the year that Suzuki won the team championship because their two drivers, two riders finished first and third. So just, just some sad news that, uh, that, uh, Suzuki will be exiting MotoGP. And this is a sport that is very much well endowed with teams. And if I bring up the current manufacturers in MotoGP, there are quite a few of them, Ducati, Yamaha, Aprilia, KDM, Suzuki, and Honda. So we'll be left with uh, five constructors after this, but a little bit sad. The other news, and this is a much more- Hammy, before you- before you go to the next story, if you could just maybe give us a little bit of like background, why is Suzuki leaving MotoGP at the, the end yeah, of the so year? Yeah, that's, so that's the unfortunate thing is that it's not exactly clear to anyone. And I think that's one of the things oh. that's creating a little bit of frustration. So typically from a corporate perspective, you know, Suzuki believes they've accomplished what they needed to do in the championship and that it's simply fiscally unequitable to remain in the championship. And of course, MotoGP is sure, the highest level enough. of motorcycle racing in the world. Um, and the costs are high, but they're certainly not Formula One high. So I think people are disappointed. But again, anything's possible because they were a full-time team until the end of 2011. They exited for a few years new leadership came in and they re they rejoined the championship mm. full-time for 2015 and we're winning races again as soon as, or scoring podiums by as uh, as soon as 2016 which is a lot easier in MotoGP as a new team so a little bit sad the other yeah. story and this is a really really positive one is that MotoGP has crowned their 2022 world champion and it is Pecco Bagnaia. So Pego Bagnaia, congratulations to the Italian rider who also, also rides for Ducati. So Ducati very much, I, I think, the equivalent of Ferrari, although certainly not with the ch- kind of uh, accomplished um kind of past they they've certainly not been as successful as ferrari has been in formula one uh, but they've obviously had a huge huge presence in the sport as the sole italian manufacturer uh, well i guess aprilia is an italian manufacturer as well but it's kind of the dominant preeminent premium italian manufacturer so very very cool to see an italian rider win the championship of course he is the first one to do mm-hmm. so since guess I have to go back a little bit here. I want to say the first since uh, since our boy Valentino Rossi, uh, but also the first time in, in many, many years that an Italian manufacturer, an Italian constructor, an Italian team has won the championship. So 2022 goes out with a bang. We have an Italian rider winning the championship, um, and we also have an Italian constructor, an Italian team winning the championship mm-hmm. as well. So uh, congratulations, Pecco Bagnaia, uh, on a tremendous season. Next year, it looks like Mark Marquez will be back in full force, fully healthy. So 2023 should be an absolute 
delight to watch. And just to kind of read off the championship, just to give everyone a sense of how close it was. At the top, Pekka led the championship with 265 points, followed by the second place winner, Cordero at 248 points, followed by the third place winner with 219, followed by Alex, Alex Espargaro with 212 points, followed by Jack Miller with 189 points, followed by Brad Binder with 188 points, followed by Alex Rins of Suzuki with 173 points. So the championship was very, very close and much closer than we're accustomed to seeing in Formula One. And I've said this before, my good friend Randy is very vocal about this on Twitter, that in a lot of ways, MotoGP is the best championship on the planet for motorsports. Yeah, 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 very, very cool. And uh, yeah, I I would think so. I mean, I think that Randy's got uh, making a legit uh, point there. But yeah, there was one thing that you were saying a little bit earlier that just kind of, um, kind of, um, popped up into my mind. I was just kind of wondering. So, you know, you're saying that, you know, spending in MotoGP is nowhere on par with Formula One. So are we talking for one of the top outfits? Are we talking, say, like a budget of tens of millions of dollars compared to hundreds of billions in, in Formula One? Is, is is that the sort of difference? Yeah. Do you think I'm uh, on the, the right sort of track Yeah, 100%. There? So typically, I, and I think the costs are generally, if you want to put a team on the grid, it's in the tens of millions mm-hmm. as opposed to the hundreds of millions of dollars. And obviously, the crews are much, much, much smaller. Um, bikes and transportation yeah. and logistics are much, much simpler. The engines are far less sophisticated. Of course, in Formula One, you're talking about dual and multiple hybrid systems with electrical components, where it is in MotoGP, you're talking about purely naturally aspirated engines that don't benefit from things like force induction, which um, are much more complex affair in, in Moto, MotoGP. And then your factory teams are significantly smaller. So typically, you're talking about a budget in the tens of millions, as opposed to the hundreds of of millions of dollars yeah okay and then i was just going to say too like uh it's funny when you're just sort of talking about making that comparison to uh ducati and 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 for a terrible one as i said it other than the fact that they're both italian that was a terrible comparison yeah no, the, where I was going to go with that is that, you know, like w- when you're out on the road and you come across a Ducati, it's got that very, very unique, distinct sound to it that when you, when you see a bike that if you don't recognize it or you hear it first, you you you, you could just tell by the sound that it makes that it, it's, uh, it's a that's, Ducati. 100%. That's a good point, man. And like a lot of people that are listening have probably never heard of Aprilia. They've probably never heard of KTM. They might only be vaguely aware that Yamaha and Honda create really great sport bikes. But Everybody knows Ducati yep. and everyone knows Ducati because of their sensational, sensational looking and sounding street bike. So that's a really great point. Yeah. hundred, hundred percent. Okay. So, uh, do we want to do this again? You know, if you listened to the show last week when we did our premature Brasilia Grand Prix preview, you can, well, no, you shouldn't drop off the show. You can hang on. I mean, you get more ammo to criticize us with for this week and deservedly so. <laughs> Uh, but yes, the, the Grand Prix is at uh, Interlagos for the Brasilia Grand Prix this week. Been there every year, except for uh, the last couple, uh, of course, because of COVID. Uh, since uh, 1990, uh, 1990, Brazilian Grand Prix has been on the calendar since 1972. It's uh, bounced uh, between Interlagos in uh, Sao Paulo, and uh, it's been to Rio a couple of times. But uh, I'm, I mean, it's been in uh, in Sao Paulo for 30 plus uh, years now. 
we're going to be back there again uh, this year. Remember, was was it last year that there was talk about they were going to build a new track, uh, a new purpose-built Formula One track in uh, near Rio, and yep. that kind of went down uh, like a lead balloon because of all the. You know all the the talk about the you know the the logging and environmental concerns. So you know the Brazilian Grand Prix, it's it's going to be at Sao Paulo at uh, Interlagos for you know the foreseeable future, unless a viable option pops up, which there doesn't seem to be anything uh, on the radar. But you know this is an interesting one. Um, Let's just uh, pull up uh, some of the stats again. We've had 49 previous runnings of the Brazilian Grand Prix. Like I said, first one went uh, back in 1972. Alain Prost, the uh, former world champion, has won there six times. He's the most winningest driver. The most winningest constructor is McLaren. Circuit length is 4.31 kilometers or 2.68 miles. Total race length is 305.88 kilometers or 190.06 miles, 71 laps. Last year, we had Valtteri Bottas then driving for Mercedes on pole. The podium was Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, and Valtteri Bottas. Fastest lap went to Checo Perez. His uh, best time was 111.010. And that was that uh, completely crazy race, which Lewis was just kind of in a bit of a bit of a world of his own and just uh, Max just could not fight him off uh, last year you know fast forward 365 odd days and I don't think that there's any real possibility that uh, that Lewis will beat Max head-to-head on the track unless Max has a problem or damages his car or something like that because even Toto was saying last week that he doesn't believe that they will be as competitive this week in Brazil as they were the other week in Mexico and and let's face it I mean Max still had them comfortably at arm's length uh, for 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 that race but uh what do you think, Hammy? We, we've talked about this once on the podcast already, and uh, has the space and time and air of a week between podcasts changed uh, your mind, or are we still thinking that this is going to be another all Red Bull weekend? I'm excited for this Grand Prix for a couple of reasons. One is, and I'm sharing this because I share everything, but uh, we had we had Geek Squad <laughs> come into our house today and mount a beautiful 55-inch TV in our bedroom that was previously in my studio nice. slash office. So I now have a TV in the bedroom to watch the Formula One Grand Prix. So I don't have to fumble with my little phone under the sheets at 5 or 6 a.m. Of course, this, this race is at a better <laughs> time, but I'm excited to be able to watch a Formula One Grand Prix on a TV from bed. But, you know, I think you and I did a really great job of, of breaking down and talking about this, this race last week. And to me, and I, I sound like a broken record to simply because I don't have any better cliches, but it sounds, I think, sometimes like I enjoy every Grand Prix. And I think one of the things that makes Formula One so special is that every single racetrack is unique in, in some way. And I think one of the things that makes this track so thrilling is that it's simply, simply so fast. And if you get into a race sim, like if you jump into iRacer or if you kind of rewatch some of the races, or even if you jump into F1 2022 and play it on your PS5 or your Xbox, one of the things that you're going to notice about this track is there's a significant amount of elevation. And I think that makes this track particularly thrilling because you're not only contending with some high-speed sectors and some high-speed corners, but you're also contending with elevation that can be deeply unsettling as a spectator sometimes, um, but also pretty unsettling for the drivers because you're often approaching corners 
occurs um, when you're going downhill or when you're approaching a crest. And sometimes you have to be prepared to start turning in or breaking for a corner that you can't yet see. And that takes some real, real significant skill. The other thing about this track in I think you and I have talked about this in the past as well, is that the weather can be awfully predictable, that this is a high-speed challenging circuit in the dry. Um, mm-hmm. This can be an extremely challenging circuit in the wet, partly because the track tends to retain moisture. And like Japan, I yep. don't think it has the greatest the greatest infrastructure in terms of sucking and pulling water away from the track. So you often have a lot of, you often have a lot of hydroplaning in sections of the track and drivers obviously tend to know where that is and they'll approach those sections of the track uh, differently. But this track can be exciting in the dry, it can be exciting in the wet, and it can be very, very unpredictable in the wet. And I'll always, always remember, of course, Max's performance at this track in 2016 in torrential pouring conditions. And, you know, I shared last week this interesting anecdote that Nico Rosberg had shared on his YouTube channel, which was, you know, they're sitting behind, sitting, they're driving behind a safety car in 2016, and the track is absolutely soaking wet. And he's like, I'm sticking to the racing line at a slow speed because I'm so afraid that I'm going to break traction and lose it behind the safety car. And I'm looking in my mirrors and I can see Max just going all over the track, left to right, left to right, left to right. And it was because he was brave enough that he recognized that behind the safety car at slower speeds, he had the opportunity to explore the limits of the track so that he could find the best racing line, the fastest racing line for when the race recommenced. So for all of those reasons, I'm excited about this track. They're going to bring the medium range of the tires, the C2 hard, C3 medium, C4 soft, uh, which is a good balance because we don't necessarily know what the conditions are going to be like. But I think there's a lot of reasons to be excited about this about this circuit. It's an all-timer, and it's a classic yeah. circuit for sure. Yeah, which we you know we we did uh, discover last week that they broke ground uh, way back in 1940. So when we say this is an old school track, it certainly fits that definition and and then some. But Hammy, while you were talking, I did actually pull up the the weather forecast uh, for the weekend. So uh, Saturday uh, we are looking about uh, 24 degrees Celsius, about 75 Fahrenheit, 70 percent chance of rain on Saturday. Sunday we're looking about 26 uh, degrees Celsius, uh, Celsius 78. Uh, Fahrenheit, we are getting a prediction of uh, thunderstorms in the afternoon in, uh, at uh, Interlagos and a chance of precipitation of about 65%. Wow. So wow. whether or not we get the lightning, the thunder and the lightning, it sounds like we're going to get some some precip at some point uh, during the weekend. So who knows, maybe we might get that repeat of uh, 2016. And and certainly that was, uh, that was a clinic that Max put on in that race. I mean, he was passing people all over the place and, and making some drivers uh, look foolish. So it uh, it'll be interesting. I mean, we, we've certainly had quite quite a few wet races this uh, this year, and certainly that would uh, add a, a a bit of a, a an element, a bit of a twist to you know a, a race where we kind of need something to to pique our interest when everything else has been decided. And, yeah, right? that thing could be the weather, and I think both you and I agree that yep. in dry conditions we have every reason to think that Max will romp and absolutely steal this race. I shouldn't say steal this race because he might, uh, he and Red Bull might block our podcast. But um, what I would say is that in the event <laughs> that there are dry, dry conditions, he will absolutely romp and just 
kind of destroy the the competition. And I would be confident with him winning, even if he qualified poor, simply because he's demonstrated repeatedly this year that he can get a good jump and overtake the opposition. Look what happened in Belgium. Exactly, exactly. And then once he's in clean air, the race is over. But if the conditions are wet and we see a succession of safety cars, even if he qualifies well, and even if he gets away well, those safety cars will bring the pack back together. And then anything, anything can happen. And we've seen Max make a couple of mistakes this year and he was able to recover. Of course, there was that spin midway through the season. I think was that Hungary where he had that spin, that 360 degree spin, and he was able to recover and complete the race. Yeah, I think it was. But yeah. uh, but I think anything's possible in wet conditions. But I think if it's dry, you have to give the nod to to Red Bull because that that car, that team, everything is clicking, and Max is just on fire, and he can continue to add race oh, yeah. wins. And yeah. I like that point that you made earlier. That I think in some ways he really wants to, and Red Bull really wants to put a punctuation mark, an exclamation mark on this championship because of some of the perceived disrespect that they received as a result of the outcome of last year's championship that I think they're Mm -hmm. not going to back away. Uh, They're not going to back away this year. And if there's an opportunity for Max to take another race win or two, they're going to do everything possible to make that happen. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to take the foot off the gas now. I think that they're going to they're going to press right up until the very fat last lap at uh, Abu Dhabi in a couple of weeks. And there, there's a lot of uh, miles left uh, between now and uh, to, to when we get to the uh, the donuts at uh, the checkered flag at Yas Marina in a couple of weeks. But yeah, I, I totally agree. And then you know the one thing that uh, you were saying just about the track itself that you know odds are pretty good that we're going to see moisture both uh, days. Um, that I, I'm just a little bit worried because I feel like if this track gets like really, really wet to be, it scares me a little bit. And I think it can get uh, a really become a really dangerous place really, really quickly. If there's a lot of water goes down on that, uh, on that surface, but, um, yeah, nothing really to, to, to add to that. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, should be interesting and fun to watch uh, at any rate. And again, at this point, <laughs> why would we really bet uh, against uh, anyone else other than Max and uh, Red Bull, uh, like you say, putting an exclamation mark on their, their championships, uh, this season. But anyways, I think that's uh, pretty much all we got for this week. Uh, Hammy, why don't uh, you do the honors and do what you usually do at this uh, time of uh, week? You and, mean, uh, with, uh, you mean your, beg your our listeners reminders. for for a little <laughs> bit of love, as if as if tuning in and you listening for an want. hour and a half of this podcast isn't showing us enough love and enough enough love and enough respect. As always, folks, if you enjoy the show, you like what we do here, it would mean the world to us if you can jump on Spotify and give us a rating. Um, And of course, if you listen with an Apple device, your iPhone, your iPad, your Mac, if you want to jump on Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and a review or maybe... One of the one of the two, uh, obviously, that would mean the world to us. Um, I think for both of us personally, it's just it just reinforces that what we're doing is important to some people, and people are enjoying what we're doing. Um, yeah. And then selfishly, yeah. from a from a kind of a, a business development perspective, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote this podcast. Um, so uh, yeah, it means the world to both of us. So if you don't mind, that would be awesome. And to everybody that already has, but continues to listen to my my spiel here, thank you very, very much. Yeah, 100%. Thank you uh, very much uh, to each and every one of you for your continued support as we celebrate 389 episodes and 200 together and you know many, many more to come. 
And on that note, uh, thank you again uh, uh, to one and all for for listening uh, this week. If you want to get in touch, the uh, best way to do so is on Twitter at ScooterF1Pod. If you are have something to say that is in excess of 140 characters, send us an email at ScooterF1Pod at gmail.com. And that's a wrap. We actually do have a race this weekend, so that means we actually be back on Sunday night to wrap it up with our good friend uh, Tim Haraney from the TSN Racing Pod. And until then, enjoy the race, enjoy the weekend, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye for now.